everybody. Welcome back to the Bet on Yourself podcast. This is already episode 10 of the second season and one I've really been looking forward to because today we're talking about creativity and moonshot thinking. That's definitely been part of my professional experience working at crazy big dreaming companies like Amazon and Google, but it's also inspired something in me personally. So today we're going to talk about what is a moonshot and how can that be especially useful in creative industries or creative work. We're going to look at a case study of Pixar. And then also we're going to talk about how this applies to you as an individual, maybe as a manager on a team or just in your daily life. If you want to set a really good and big goal for yourself, how do we go about that? Okay, let's get started. First, what is a moonshot? A moonshot in a technology context is an ambitious, groundbreaking project undertaken. You're not worried about near-term profitability. You're not worried about mistakes learned along the way, and you're probably defining success as you go. So that, but the term moonshot originally derives from the Apollo 11 space flight project. So yesterday was the 60th anniversary of President John F. Kennedy challenging the United States during a special session of Congress to claim a leadership role in space and land a man on the moon before the end of the decade. And that is a huge goal and would be exceptional in any circumstance. But even with a little bit more context, we can see just how bold this, this uh, challenge was. So NASA had only been formed three years earlier in 1958. And on May 25th, 1961, President Kennedy urged the nation to make a commitment to going and putting a man on the moon. He appealed to the spirit of adventure and patriotic pride and really pulled on the cause of freedom. We were in this space race with the Soviet Union at the time. And America responded with one of the greatest mobilizations of resources and manpower and creativity and ingenuity in US history to accomplish what no one had yet done before. At the time of this challenge, the U.S. only had 15 minutes, one five minutes of human spaceflight experience. And that had only happened three weeks before he made this challenge. So it's not like we were starting off ahead. In fact, the Soviet Union had already surpassed that by quite a lot. They had put a human into space and um, we were on a race to want to get someone to the moon. Now, NASA leadership did have a relatively high degree in confidence in the doability of a lunar landing program, but it didn't actually play out in the way that they had expected. And that's a whole other long story that's fascinating to me. And this whole journey, this moonshot project became known as Project Apollo. It took eight years for them to accomplish the goal. And on July 20th, 1969, two American astronauts did walk on the moon. It was an incredible achievement. Everyone in my parents' generation can tell you exactly where they were when they, when they saw the footage and they saw the Earth from space for the very first time and watched that moon landing. And unfortunately, President Kennedy didn't live to see this goal accomplished. He was assassinated before that. But his, his words really live in infamy. All Americans have, have seen this footage of the space space challenge that he gave. And there's a particularly moving speech that he gave at Rice University, where he said, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are willing to postpone, one we are willing to intend to win, and the others too. 
I think there's some key elements in this quote from him that we're doing it not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And the reason we're choosing to do something hard is because it will force us to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills and to challenge ourselves and to create this moment of which we'll be proud. So we're going to circle back to that at the end when we talk about personal goals and applications. But first, let's look at a case study for how does this uh, motivate companies? This is definitely a common practice in most tech companies. And this is how those really dominant players become dominant. And in fact, Pablo Rodriguez, who was a guest on the first season of Bet On Yourself, if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back. It's so good. Pablo is a moonshot ambassador at X, which is Google's moonshot factory. And Pablo describes something called the golden ratio for corporations. The golden ratio is um, investing in something that will make your company even more, um, I was going to say dominant or, or productive, but just like competitive. That's what I was looking for. They'll make your, your company competitive. So the right investment ratio is 70% into kind of your core deliverables, what you do today that uh, leads to your greatest success. 20% of your investment should be around incremental growth on the margins of those areas. And then 10% should really be these moonshot big bets something that's not really connected to your core business model at the moment, but will become so likely in the future. And this golden ratio actually shows that the uh, rewards that you get from that are the inverse of your investments. So those 70% of your core um, ways that you win, your success formula, actually becomes only 10% of your core strategy in the future. And then those 20% incremental growth will give you about 20% of that growth over time. However, the 10% investment in these crazy moonshot projects will in the future over the long run become 70% of how you become productive and dominate in the future. So this is definitely worth applying in, in companies of, of all different scales. Google famously has adopted this term moonshot and for most of its um, innovative projects, this is a daily term. <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, I don't know how many times I've said the word moonshot a lot. So many of what has come out of X, which is Google's uh, semi-secret lab for moonshot projects, um, are things that you probably have heard of. So Google's moonshot projects have included Google Glass, Project Loon, which was a balloon-based internet service project to reach those in underserved areas driverless cars, augmented reality glasses, a neural network, robots for manu the manufacturing industry, Project Calico, which is a life extension project. A lot of these sounded even more crazy in the beginning when they were first started than they do right now. But a lot of them have become more commonplace and we can now see a real possibility of this being integrated into our lives. So Google's definition of a moonshot is a project or proposal that one, addresses a huge problem globally. Two, it proposes a radical solution to that problem. And three, it uses breakthrough technology to create new solutions. Now, another example, getting outside of my wheelhouse, is Pixar. I read this incredible article um, published in the Harvard Business Review called How Pixar Fosters Collective Creativity. This article is very in-depth. I recommend you Google it right now and, and read it because I'm only going to scratch the very, very surface of what moonshots really look like for them. I'm not going to get into how they actually break it down and manage their teams for that. I highly recommend you read it though because there's good stuff in this article. So it talks about um, when it comes to producing breakthroughs, both technological or artistic, 
Pixar's track record is definitely unique. Uh, so in the early 1990s, Pixar became known as the leading technology pioneer in the field of computer animation. And unlike other studios, they have never once bought a script or a movie idea from the outside. All of their ideas are homegrown. I did not know that. I actually never even thought about that, <laughs> about if they did it or not. They do not. Uh, they're also best known for pushing the technological boundaries of computer animation. They have so many patents that they have acquired along the way to solving some big technology problems for their uh, creative ideas. So this HBR article is written by Ed Catmull, and he outlines a couple of the ways in which they win through moonshot thinking and creative collaboration. And the first part he emphasizes most, which absolutely resonates with me from my times at Amazon and Google, is first it comes down to the team. He says, while I'm not foolish enough to predict that we will never have a flop, I don't think our success is largely luck. Rather, I believe our adherence to a set of principles and practices for managing creative talent and uh, risk is responsible. So Pixar is a community in the truest sense of the world, word. We think that lasting relationships matter and we share some basic beliefs. Talent is rare. And that actually he talks about in the article a little bit is a point of contention with some other executives. Some other executives think good ideas are rarer than talent, but at, at Pixar, they absolutely believe that talent is rare. And so they really protect their creative talent. So he gave a great example of Toy Story 2. Toy Story had been a huge success um, and Disney who had acquired Pixar in the meantime, wanted them to do Toy Story 2 as a direct to video which meant in the Disney model, usually their direct-to-video projects were of lower quality. Uh, they didn't put in as much resources into it, but Pixar did not want to play it that way. Ed explains that in Toy Story 2 taught us an important lesson. There has to be just one quality bar for every film we produce. Everyone working at the studio at the time made tremendous per personal sacrifices to fix Toy Story 2. This is not a project that went well from day one. It was expensive and missed deadlines and just wasn't where Ed wanted it to be. And he said, we shut down all other projects. We asked our crew to work inhumane hours and lots of people suffered re repetitive stress injuries. But by rejecting mediocrity at great pain and personal sacrifice, we made a loud statement as a community that it was unacceptable to produce some good films and some mediocre films. And as a result, Toy Story 2, it became deeply ingrained in our culture that everything we touch needs to be excellent. I really love that. And I think it's true. Like, yes, I've, I've worked on some projects that strained me to the max and I've done some inhumane hours and definitely had some repetitive stress. But the pride that you feel at the end of always producing something that is excellent, I think for me has always felt worth it. And looking back on those projects, I don't really remember the pain. Maybe it's like childbirth. <laughs> I don't know. You just fall in love with what you've produced at the end so much that you forget the pain. And uh, the article continues that Toy Story 2 was, was great and became a critical commercial success. And it was really a defining moment for Pixar. Ed said that it taught us an important lesson about the primacy of people over ideas. If you give a good idea to a mediocre team, they will screw it up. If you give a mediocre idea to a great team, they will either fix it or throw it away and come up with something that works. And I have definitely seen that in high-performing teams as well.
So once you have the right team in place, uh, he talked about the creative process itself. He said, people tend to think that creativity is a mysterious solo act and they typically reduce products to a single idea. But this, whether it's a, you might think about it as just like a movie about a toy or a dinosaur or a love story or something, a movie contains literally tens of thousands of ideas. Uh, creativity must be present at every level of the artistic and the technological part of the organization. And the leaders sort through massive amounts of ideas to find the ones that fit into a co coherent whole. That's their job. That's, uh, they look for the ideas that support this overarching story arc. And that can be a really difficult task. The process, <laughs> Ed said, can be downright scary. And then again, if we aren't at least a little scared, we're not doing our job. And uh, I, think, I think most of my career at Google, honestly, really at Amazon, because I was so young, I was scared all the time because um, what we were doing was tough and I had never done it before. But if we weren't a little bit scared, we weren't necessarily doing our jobs. And that's how he gets to his last point about how Pixar wins. And that is summarized in risks and originality. Um, he says, we as executives have to resist our natural tendency to avoid or minimize risks, which of course is much easier said than done. In the movie business and plenty of others, this instinct leads executives to choose to copy successes rather than try and create some brand new ones. And that's why you see so many movies that are so much alike. Uh, it also explains why a lot of the films are not actually very good. If you want to be original, you have to accept the uncertainty even when it's uncomfortable and you have to have the capability to recover when your organization takes a big risk and fails. It does. It happens. I'm going to Google. We had a lot of failures. So what's the key to being able to recover? Talented people. <laughs> so management's job is not to prevent risk. It's to build the capability to recover when failures occur. It has to be safe to tell the truth. You um, must constantly challenge all of your assumptions and search for flaws that could destroy your culture. It's really about being very proactive in this space. And it, I absolutely agree. It all comes down to the people. Smart people are more important than good ideas. And it's absolutely okay to hire people who are smarter than you. In fact, I highly recommend it. So many of my uh, consulting clients are having this moment of realizing they've surrounded themselves by people who are all... Um, have a much higher degree of expertise in something because they've hired them well. That's, that's why they're sitting at the table. But it can be a weird moment when you realize you've, you've stacked the deck of people who are only smarter or better or have a different capability than you do. And not being intimidated by that is how great leadership is born. So how do moonshots apply to you as an individual? Let's go back to Google's definition of moonshot criteria. It might feel less applicable to you individually on the surface. Again, that was one, addressing a huge problem, two, proposing a radical solution to it, and three, using breakthrough technology. Okay, so my personal criteria is simply, I, I translate that into learn, grow, and get stronger. That's really what I'm looking for in, in some of the big goals I set for myself. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is, what do I want? So maybe sub-questions to that are, when you're thinking about, is it worth the investment? Is it worth the potential failure or all the hardship it's going to take to get me there? Ask yourself, will it stretch my view and appreciation of the world? Will I experience depth of experiences or tap into robustness in my efforts and confront some really hard truths about myself? If the answers are yes, I think it's, it's worth the risk, huh? 
So then the second big question is, why does it feel worth it when you know it's going to be really hard to accomplish? To answer that, think about a time, like a specific moment where you felt the most proud of yourself or, okay, maybe if that's uncomfortable, when were you the most proud of someone you loved? Those moments always, I'm willing to bet, come after a lot of struggle. So for example, I personally am obsessed with the Olympics. I love watching people do superhuman fits of strength. Uh, but really, how I became passionate about it at such a young age, I think I was, I don't know, six or seven when I started watching the Olympics, was I really loved those profiles that NBC, who broadcasts it in the United States, they would do these profiles on athletes that would help you get to know them, their stories of sacrifice and grit and tenacity, victory over hardships, recoveries after injury. I just found that incredibly inspiring. And it kind of changed my mindset a bit. I didn't expect overnight success. Yeah, I think they were born with an extra dose of incredible superhuman abilities. Most of them got there just because of hard work and a willingness to get over setbacks when they inevitably come. I also really like being part of a community of like-minded people who push themselves beyond natural limits. There's so much joy in realizing how resilient you are. Isn't it a freeing feeling? I hope that you have had this moment of click um, over the very stressful last year and a half that, that we've all experienced, and you realize you're a lot more resilient than you thought you were. Isn't that what we all really want most? It doesn't mean we don't have periods of overwhelm, and it doesn't mean that setbacks don't hurt. They definitely do. I, I have those kind of constantly. I've, I've, yesterday, I had a major like frustration moment. That's all part of the process. It's not all roses and um, something to, that we feel like we want to celebrate from the rooftops. But reflect on this. Here's a little pro tip. I used to, I think I've interviewed thousands, if not tens of thousands of people to work at Google. So if you're considering working in a company like that, you might be, want to be prepared for a question like this. My very favorite interview question to ask a candidate wanting to work at Google, which is very much a moon, moon set mindset company, I would ask the candidate to please tell me about a goal that you set for yourself that took more than a year to accomplish. I would ask that question for a few reasons. You learn a lot about them. Uh, one, if they don't have an example, then Google's probably not the right environment for them. But through their answers, I learned what they valued, how resourceful they are, how they respond to disappointments and setbacks, uh, how and when they seek out mentors, and their actual grit factor. Do they keep going? So some examples of goals that would fit in this category are maybe learning a foreign language, which I am trying to do right now. This is like year three for me on Spanish. So that's definitely more than a year. Or maybe an athletic goal, like training for an Ironman, or maybe you want to do something in your community, like raise an exceptional amount of money for a charity or a project, or maybe you want to lobby for policy change. We've definitely seen a lot of need for that globally, and I certainly have a lot of things I'd like to change in, in my community or in my country. So hopefully that sparks some ideas for you of something that you might want to set as a moonshot goal for yourself. It's going to, I promise, bring you pride, joy, self-confidence, and a lot of resilience built in the process. So I hope you'll go out there and feel inspired to make a really big bet on yourself. And I'd really love to hear how it goes. So please share your experiences here with our community. Until next week, go and make that big bet on yourself.